Welcome to Pairings, moderated debate between VC greats hosted by Greenspring Associates. Greenspring Associates, founded in 2000, is a global venture capital firm that offers investors a comprehensive platform dedicated to the venture asset class. Wonderful. So we're thrilled to have two of our really trusted GP partners here with us today, Mark Hatfield and Alex Dahl from 1011. We've been fortunate to be able to partner with them formally, both on the fund and the direct side, and really enjoy the collaborative nature of our relationship and what we're going to continue to be able to do together in, in the cyber vertical. And so just an absolute pleasure having you both here today and look forward to around covering a few different areas why don't, in order to orient the audience a little bit, we just start with some brief bios and backgrounds on the two of you. Feel free to lead off with whoever's most appropriate, and then we can go from there. Super. Thanks, Hunter. Uh, this is Alex, and Mark and I co-founded 1011 in 2014. We got started fundraising in 2015, got our first fund together. Prior to that, you know, we were the industry's first fund to focus on cyber but really learned about the cyber business from some time in operating roles. I was the CFO and co-founder of a company called PGP, or Pretty Good Privacy, from 2002 to 2010. And then a lot of the roots what would become 1011 came from some time in between. when We sold PGP to Symantec in 2010, did some early stage startup work as an EIR with Coastal Ventures, and did some consulting with big private equity shop KKR. And all of it was focused on the cyber industry. So I've sort of been in cyber for multiple decades, and we just happen to now be doing it from the chair of venture capitalists. This is Mark, similar to Alex. It, it's the, the origins of when this started. Alex and I were on a board together called Silence. So it was an early, we were the early investors in Silence. It was AI impacting antivirus. And it was one of the board, board meetings, board preps, we were talking, and it was no other investors, there's no other VCs dedicated to cyber. And so that's the that's where this whole conversation started. Alex was at, ahead of me on that one. And we'd co-invested a few times. We'd known each other for 10 or 11 years prior to starting all this. Did you? Uh, when Alex was at PGP looking at, I uh, was at actually Motorola on the, on the venture side there, looking at encryption for some of the Motorola capabilities. That was first touch point. Then he tried, we, were, we had an investment in a company that they tried to acquire. So kind of mutual and high level of respect for Alex and what he was doing at PGP. And so that kind of brought us all together when we were on boards at a couple projects prior to starting 1011. And so that's the launch point was that. Signed the first term, you know, first agreement with 1011 on October 11th. That was the launch from there. How did you two decide that this was going to be a good partnership together. You had obviously had some good working history on a few different companies and knew each other, but a whole different level of trust that goes into to doing a firm together. And what made you convinced and comfortable that you were right for each other, you could say? <laughs> Always funny, yeah. I mean, it's number one, I was I was sort of out kicking around and, was, you know, a lot of people said, oh, you got to have a partner, you got to have a partner, right? I, I was sort of a little more, free at the time because I was an EIR. Mark and I had been talking because, as he said, we were on two boards together. And as I was kicking around and talking to people about doing the industry's first cyber fund, a lot of people said to me, well, we don't do one-man funds. You got to have a partner. And so I was like, all right, I got to start looking for, I got to start looking for a partner and a co-founding partner. And 
you know, then you, once you sort of figure that out, you start looking around, you know, I was like, I'm going to do the industry's first cyber fund. So I got to have someone who has fits that bell with cyber experience and has done some, some good ones in the space. And they started looking around some of the boards I was on and, you know, you go into the silence and counterattack boardrooms where Hat and I were on. And it was a lot of, we would see the issues the same, which maybe sound a little trite or sound a little funny, but, you know, the, the entrepreneur would be bringing up an issue in a board meeting and I would find a lot of the time Hat would answer and I would say, yep, I, I totally agree with what Mark just said. And, you know, when, when we thought about like M&A versus financing and how we should do something in advising the entrepreneurs, the companies, I would find a lot of the time, you know, the person sort of beating me to the to the punch on what I was going to say was half. And so it was like, wow, we really we really kind of think the same about how to advise entrepreneurs. I'd say another big issue just and you alluded to a little bit, Hunter, is just the venture industry sort of, I've been in this, you know, operating side of the tech business for a long run and investment banking before that. There's a lot of big egos in the venture business. And as we were getting started, I was like really wanted to work with someone who was humble and put the companies first. And, you know, 1011 has always been about, not about ourselves. And right. And I wanted the co-founder of the, the firm with me, we needed to, you know, project humility, make our fun about the, the companies and the product and the mission inside the cybersecurity business was important. And so really, when you look for all those ingredients and then couple that with the fact that Hat was sort of saying the things that were in my head in, in the original board meetings, he was a logical guy. And, and then just building on that, I think the bigger deciders, Hunter, were Heather and Susie. So we get together. It was the two of us seemed to sort it out, but it was really getting the more important people together. Which Heather is is is, is Alex's wife, and then Susie is mine. So when we would do dinners with the four of us, that's kind of really when it it became real. Then I think Hunter is probably another way of thinking about it. Yeah. So to net, to net that out, Susie and Heather told us we could be partners, and we're good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any diligence findings that either one of them came up with that you should look out for on each other post the, the original interaction? That's an interesting question. I'll take a page out of Ryan's book of not answering the question directly. I think the best example of that, Hunter, is on a diligence trip with Greenspring. It was in Scotland, and the four of us were there, Susie, Heather, Alex, and myself, you took us off on a you know a day trip out of the environment, and then I think it was you, Jim, a whole team surrounded Heather and Susie, and we're interviewing them and asking the same questions. And so the, the funny part of that whole trip was Heather and Susie came both to Alex and I and said, I don't know about you two idiots, but we crushed the interview. So if they don't come <laughs> in the fun, it's on you, not us. So <laughs> Love diligencing family members. There they, you go. And, you know, Hunter, it's all kidding aside. It's a, it's something we took to heart too, right? So every new person that joins, we do the exact same thing. So we have dinners with, you know, as we're recruiting other team members, we do the exact same things because it's, Alex has the great line. This is the last job we'll ever have. And we, you know, take that to heart. And so it's, you got to have, you know, cohesion, same culture, same views, you know, throughout the team, because you spend as much time with one of us, one another as it is in the extension of the family. And I think that 
The one other final point, just in terms of why we click so well, it's a, other funds say it, we actually practice it. It's, you know, it, 10, 11 deals aren't my deals. It's it's the fund deals, and that's a it's nuanced in venture, but it's bigger funds. It's, you know, they're siloed, right? It's, you know, you got a team that's doing, and those are their deals. CEOs call Alex, myself, Brian, Megan, you know, all days of the week, and no one has issues with who's talking to who. And I think that has a fundamental, sets a fundamental theme and direction for the whole team, as well as the portfolio companies. They, they reach out to whoever to get the right answers. And that, that's a fundamental difference, I think, is how this was all set up. Yeah, no, you can totally see that from our standpoint as someone who's evaluated you as a fund opportunity. And I think that very much shines that it isn't an attribution culture and there's no fall off regardless of who the touch point is on your side. Um, speaks very much to the culture. And, you know, to echo your earlier points around finding someone that's the right fit for you in terms of like integrity, morals, ego, and humility, I think you've you've found good partners in each other. Maybe just on like how you're a little bit different. When you're looking at a company and assessing whether it's a good opportunity for 1011, how do you two think differently about the opportunity or where does one person key in more than the other, making a determination and an assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think we have a common framework that, you know, part of our culture is we establish sort of a common framework. So we we ultimately end up seeing things pretty similarly. And that's proven literally when we do an investment committee meeting, we'll end up pretty much having same sets of remarks and same sets of ratings. I think we do get there slightly different ways, which is really advantageous to the diligence process and advantageous to the firm. And, you know, probably from, from my PGP operating experience background, a little bit of, you know, with engineering and, and even inside of security, while it's already pretty technical, the area we were in is cryptography, key management. It, it gets a little wonky, a little nerdy, a little techie, right? And we used, I learned, you know, I had to learn, you know, I, I call it crypto karate. It's, you know, wh- where are the keys? And in explaining how cryptography works, you, you know, you go through these half hour discussions with Alice and Bob are trying to send a secure message and you play hide the keys. At the end of it, it's all about where the, where are the private keys. And when in sort of doing biz dev in the industry and interfaces, I, I ended up learning a lot about all of the interfaces, the products and, and, and developer environments. I, I probably come at things first for me. I start with kind of technology and product, I think. And that's sort of my first lens on the world. I'd say Hat usually starts with the person. He kind of has a real good psychology filter on human beings and he and, and sort of the, the introductory channel. He has a, you know, who it came from, the diligence around it, his network of people he can call on that person. That's his starting point. I ultimately get to there and he ultimately comes and goes to the same diligence I do at tech, but I probably start with, will that product work and how's that going to be to, you know, a Palo Alto firewall? If we're going to build a next-gen firewall, how's that going to build a Palo? How's it, how are we going to disrupt a Palo Alto firewall? We end up going through sort of in the end, I think we get to the same places and we sort of, again, start from slightly different spots. Hunter, you know us, we kind of do it. It's the traditional VC horse and uh, jockey. Right, you're looking at one of those. I think the the added element for us is the racetrack security being so unique. How entrepreneurs and products are actually taken to market, we call it the racetrack. And then obviously the final element, which is the deal sheet, daily odds, is what we call it, or 
valuation, right? Entry point and exit point. Math still matters, although in, in current environment, valuations are get, getting out of hand. So it's if you look at those four variables, Alex said it right. He comes at it from the horse and the product side, coming from the jockey side. We'll have very similar views on the racetrack. And then, you know, the math, Alex being the CFO at heart, <laughs> he, he does he does math. I, I can do big prime numbers and I'm good with primary colors as well. <laughs> no, I totally get that. I would have guessed that the division of labor was similar to what you two just described. I think and one of our other partners, Hunter, I got hey, one of our other partners, just to torch that analogy a little further, talked about. So we have horse jockey, which racetrack you're running them at, and then the daily odds are going on it. But you know, we talked about a little bit earlier, but the, the other variable that we're seriously considering adding to our next fund is we call it the breeders, right? It's sort of what, who are the other co-investors around the deal? What's the ecosystem around that? Just to just to torture our horse racing analysis. For Brian, our third uh, partner and COO, sort of came up with that. But it's a little bit of a, you know, I, I think it's also quite real, right? The ecosystem, the co-investors that are around the deal. I mean, I think, honestly, there's certain phone calls that just get returned faster if it's from a certain breeder or another breeder, right? And in the end, all of our firm, I think the probably the best thing we've done is we all have a common framework across those five variables. In the end, we pretty much see investment opportunities the same, right? We end up sort of rating them kind of close. And even when we go across all of the firm, we don't have a, a wide divergence in the end. And when we see things, we sort of all start from different places. We all articulate why something's a 10 out of a 10 slightly differently, or why something's a five out of 10, or why we're dismissing it early. Early on, we use traffic lights. We go green, yellow, red. That's a that's a red jockey. That red, it's a red deal sheet. You know, we don't even get to the numbers till we get later in the process on our firm. But in the end, we kind of all see seem see things pretty similarly, which is I think that's the best thing we've done in the culture and the discipline is we kind of have a common taxonomy that we look at every deal across. Yeah, and it, it certainly helps that you're you're all domain experts within a vertical that that you spend a lot of time on, which is different from other firms that have to to have an opinion across all different other subsectors. And so I, I could see that being very effective. Maybe we can just flash back to, we, we got a background on your bios, how you originally got to know each other. Tell us a little bit more about what it was like to raise that first fund. What was the feedback you received from LPs, positive and negative? You know, how did you decide on the right partners? We weren't smart enough to come into the first fund, which we lament, but we remedied that mistake for the second, but would love sort of what it was like as a first time, you know, fundraising capital. The biggest issue is what you just said that we encountered was probably just your first time fund. You know, I, I had a couple smart LPs, you know, maybe one of them on this call say something like there's 5,000 people walking around with the deck raising their a first time fund. Like what are, what, what are you guys going to do that's unique? And, and we sort of, you know, said, look, we're raising a cyber fund. We're the first, right? And so that was, when we got started, that was, the, the financial world looked at us as a first-time fund. We looked at ourselves as sort of almost like a startup in a Series A, more like a company and said, all right, who gets what we're doing? We're going to be the industry's first cyber fund. And we think that specialization is really going to matter. And I think we've been proving out that that's been a good thing for us. And, you know, we want to build a firm and culture around cyber. We want to invest globally, which was, you know, a lot of people would say to us, 
you guys can't start a fund in Boston and Burlingame. Like you guys are across the country. You, you need to be in the same office and you need to be completing each other's sentences. And, you, and we, and what we used to joke about is we were completing each other's sentences and, you know, on the United flights, so we were flying around, but you know, it, it was literally, it wasn't that a lot of people just in the finance world have a model of first time funds are tough. Partners need to be in the same city and then the third thing we were doing was we were investing globally from the beginning, right? And that comes from our learnings. You know, PGP, we bought three companies in, in over five years. And, you know, we saw the patterns that we continue to invest in today are in cyber. They're smart, brilliant technical founders who build products, but they don't know the rest of the business. They don't know how to raise capital. They don't know how to come to the United States if they're outside of here. They don't know how to invest and hire a first-time VP of sales or CMO, and we knew that was part of what we were going to go do right from the get-go. And so a lot of LPs just didn't like different cities, first-time fund, you're investing globally. And then, oh, by the way, this fourth wrinkle, we're going to be sort of stage agnostic. We're going to do seed, venture, and some late stuff. And we just we just had to tell our story and wait till we found people that believed in it and got it. I mean, nine out of 10 people disqualified us on one of those four facts, just because, you know, a lot of them on the first time fund issue, candidly. Well, and then, and then is, is cyber really, is it just enterprise, right? Why, why just a dedicated fund? And, and that's, you know, looking back on it now, Hunter, it's kind of, there's a major hack a week at this point, right? So it's, it's cyber is kind of the bet worked on that one, which has become, you know, it is. It's just cyber. It's really security, right? Which is bigger than. It's not a part of just an enterprise play. There's a bigger piece to it. So that that first time for LPs looking at us for the first time around, you could understand it, right? First time GPs or emerging managers, I think, is the category. We certainly had experiences. So we we're on boards together, so we could show the continuity there. We had certainly the entrepreneur back, you know, backing from that. But it's clearly need to show proof points and performance of which is there now. Makes sense. And, and why don't we go to, to your point next? I, I think of domain expertise as important everywhere, but in, in, in some categories, I think having real specialization and real focus matters even more. And I would say on early stage cyber, that's probably one of the areas that's the, the toughest to diligence and assess in pre-commercial stage businesses. Maybe you could just speak to why specialization in cyber makes sense and also how that differs as companies progress over time in stage and scale. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe specialization matters as much in late stage cyber as it does early stage, but we'd love your opinion. Yeah, here, I'll take a first crack. I think the one thing, Hunter, and you know this well, just because you've, you're kind of the extension of the 1011 family, if you will, in terms of the number of cyber deals you're doing, but it's, it's such a fast product cycle in terms of what's happening in the industry. It's different than just enterprise software in the sense that the innovation cycles are very high. And that's obviously, that's well, obviously driven by, unfortunately, the bad actors as well. So their their innovation cycles are extremely fast. So that all that to say is that, you know, a traditional 18-month window in a cyber company doesn't equate an 18-month window in just enterprise software. So it's, I think those two, those are two big differentiators. And then I think the next big bucket is the ecosystem. And this is kind of back to what Alex experienced back in PGP days. We always say, you know, there's 200, 250 people in the world that are 
domain experts in a vertical within cyber, we feel that we have our good, excellent view in terms of who those people are. So we, to be able to tap those experts in addition to ourselves from the network to be able to vet technology, number one, vet market opportunities, or third, be the actual entrepreneurs to go disrupt whatever they're going after to disrupt. So it's, I think it's just a different, it's akin to, we always say it's akin to biotech, it's akin to drug development, right? There's an equation and there's a bunch of PhDs around the world that can look at the equation and see, can that really do something? It's, it's very similar in this sense, in the security, digital security ecosystem. I think that's a great analogy. I haven't heard someone uh, compare cyber to biotech, but certainly two of the tougher areas to assess and in seed in Series A. And just sort of breaking apart Alex's former commentary on each of the differentiators that were viewed either as too off, off course for LPs or, or maybe true differentiators. On the stage piece, how did founders view you all when you could come in anywhere from seed to essentially like buyout recap almost or, or large growth round? You literally could play in every stage of a, a cyber business's life cycle. Um, maybe you could yeah. speak to the advantages of that and you know how you tell the story to founders. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is the founders love it. They're the easiest sort of audience to that. It was really, I would call it the institutional financial community who sort of views it with the most raised eyebrow or we just don't fit into a lot of the traditional buckets the way we organize. But, you know, it's important then when we tell the story of why it works, we really view the stage agnostic, even though the finance world doesn't organize that way. We view it as a source of our competitive advantage as a firm. And why we view it that way, it sort of is, it's the learnings from in 2012, 13, 14, you know, Hat and I are doing early stage deal. This is a true story. We literally are doing an early stage deal. It, it would come to be Silence. We're talking to Stuart McClure, the founder of Silence. He's telling us about using this stuff called AI. And we sort of thought that meant artificial intelligence. We had to go out in the hall and talk about it. Say, what does AI mean? <laughs> so 2012, mind you. And then so it went on the way to the water cooler. We said, yeah, he means artificial intelligence. Yep, yep, got it. Okay, so he was telling us what he was going to do with AI to solve the malware problem. And he, he what he was doing at his, you know, he was at McAfee, which used a more traditional approach. And he's going to do this early stage thing and disrupt the whole industry. Then in the afternoon, I was working as a consultant to a big private equity firm. Late stage opportunity comes in in the same space, antivirus. And, and it's a division of an antivirus company's for sale that's, you know, multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, like we're sitting there, the light bulb goes off on our head like, holy cow, like who in the world could see the same, who in the world could be having these two conversations in the same day? And it was like, what an advantage. Like we could go build a venture fund only and do the industry's first cyber fund, but we would be leaving so much competitive advantage, so much returns, so much knowledge on the floor if we just did venture. So we put our heads together and said, what if we kind of do longer than venture? So we knew we were going to do seed and venture. And as, as you know, Hunter, that's 70, 80% of our work is what, what anyone would, would call a traditional venture capital fund. The real only question was when we started was, would we do this extra 20% or 30%? We, we, we started calling it growth, which in hindsight, I'm not sure it was the right name to call it. It's really just stuff, the other stuff that isn't venture all the way to later. 
And, you know, it gives us you know, great insights into the industry. So we can see when we're doing growth investments and later stage investments, we have visibility into the early stage innovations that are coming to disrupt them. You know, and that, that one, I think people sort of get when they think about it. The other one's less obvious. When we're doing the other way around, we can, when we're doing venture investments, sort of like a B or a C or a D round, and, you know, the technology's proven and you're at scaling, well, a lot of people underestimate scaling risk and go to market, our racetrack risk. And, you know, you need to raise 50 million and hire a sales force and build a brand name. And who are you building that against, right? And understanding the growth company incumbents that you're going to have to build that channel against from B and C stage investments to be a successful DEF stage investment. And so seeing the whole industry gives us not just innovation sort of edges and kind of an idea But it also then goes to, we have corp dev relationships for the early stage companies. We have strategic investments um, that come and join B and C and D rounds for the early stage investments. We see talent that comes in uh, that wants to come out of the late stage companies and found the next ones. And so the, the stage agnostic view of all of cyber is really the heart of what has made 1011 different. And, and we really think it's the basis of our advantage as a firm. And it's self-fulfilling, right? Like it's the early ones grow up to be later stage. And then that those those entrepreneurs that have gone through that process become advisors, board members for us, become coaches for our earlier stage. And then that, that whole process continues around. So it's it's we're now 27, 26, 27 companies into this. And so the ecosystem within just the 1011 portfolio company itself creates kind of feeds off of itself. I think that's a great point too. And and being that I was one of the LPs that was questioning you on including all stages, I will humbly admit that I was wrong in that regard at this point. Well, I'm not wrong. It's just, it's just different, right? Like, come on, that's too dramatic. We'll have to edit that. <laughs> but, uh, but that's, yeah, take that yeah, out, we're, Hunter, come on. We're, we're, we're taking the Hunter wrong. That doesn't work. No, it's just, it was just, it's not intuitive, I think, is probably what it is, Hunter. But it's, but it's different. Yeah, we just yeah. didn't look like any other animal that came before us. People in our, you in the big cats, the, the wild jungle of Africa, the lizards, the insects. What section of the zoo are you in? We, we didn't fit in anybody's section of the zoo, right? Like no one, no one kind of knew what to do with us. Makes sense. And maybe another one of your differentiator points on the global reach. You guys are finding interesting opportunities, you know, all over the place and in in spots that I think aren't even obvious to to mine. I think you did a deal recently in Spain. You've been active in companies coming out of Israel, which obviously is more intuitive for cyber. Clearwater, Florida, areas all over the place, both globally and domestically, that aren't sort of the obvious hotbeds, despite where you're located. Maybe talk through the decision of that and then just how have you been so effective in covering such a large canvas? Globally sounds more exciting, more scarier than it is, right? So it's think of the five eyes, right? So the traditional organization. So that's GCHQ, which is the NSA equivalent. It's the 8200 unit, which is kind of maybe called the sixth eye, if you will. So it, there's actually cyber centers around the globe under. So it's, it's globally is it is global reach, but the regions are very specific regions and the talent that comes out of those specific units are dedicated teams. So it's it's really kind of getting plugged in. And that's 
part of the network effect of being just focused on you know the security vertical. When we first started, no one knew what a 1011 was. I think now that the brand recognition and the deals we're doing has certainly helped accelerate the access into region. But the other big driver is, you know, I think the the joke, Alec, we always say is uh, when you're in the valley, you know, a lot of investors don't take, you know, they go as far as the Tesla charge will take them, right? Which means, you know, they don't go across the bridge to the Berkeley or East Bay or so we actually get on planes when, and a lot of investors and a lot of your GPs say the same Hunter, but I think we're short of COVID. We're on the road. We're, we're in where the entrepreneurs are, where, where the security conferences are. So we're there with them and that, and that makes a big difference. So in that, in Australia, you're right. We just did a deal in Australia. We just did another deal in out of uh, the UK, which is, you know, a core team out of, out of that IC world. So it's, they find us, we find them because we're on the ground. And then you'll, you know, big question is coverage globally. We've had an EIR over in Europe helping us. It's someone trusted goes back to the PGP days with Alex when he founded PGP. So, you know, we've got trusted resources in region and partners with trusted resources in region to give us visibility and insight to what we're looking for. And generally speaking, I think, you know, I think we sort of knew there'd be opportunities in 25 or 30 centers around the world, right? You know, five or 10 of those are in the United States, but, and then hat hit the ones outside the United States already that we knew we were going to be focused on. The thing we probably, you know, that we also knew that there's a pattern in cyber, right? There's a technical founder entrepreneur who has maybe trouble raising capital, isn't as polished in giving pitches to venture capitalists doesn't know how to raise venture capital. If you're from Germany, Spain, you know, Australia, they just don't have as many touches and they're not as practiced in it. And then let alone then how to, if you do successfully raise capital, what do you do with it? You come to the United States, you come to the UK, invest in sales and marketing and build brands. So we the pattern of technical founder needing help in all the other areas, that's sort of our, what we have found all around the world. And that's where 1011 goes and you know, really likes his investment opportunities in, in the A and B range where we can kind of go do everything else, but we're not gonna we're not gonna get in there and help them with their code design. You know, we assess architecture, we assess product. A lot of them don't need too much help with, you know, the products themselves. What they do need help with is almost everything else around the business. And that dynamic, you know, it's really competitive in, in the United States, in San, San Francisco and Boston, even in the United States. When you go to DC or you know Florida, as you mentioned, Hunter, and then you know you go to places like Australia, the competitive dynamics around deals. Number one, there's just a lot of what fits our model. There's a lot of entrepreneurs who need the help and are looking for it, and so 1011 can fit right in and do our thing with them. And they and it's just a fit. But number two, the dynamics around deals are different. There's better pricing. There's less term sheets. There's more efficient capital raises. It gives us an ability to find opportunities that because we have in our mandate global, you know, it doesn't mean we don't get all the hot deals in Silicon Valley and Boston. We, we still chase those too. However, we can go find and augment that with places, as you mentioned, some of the geographies around the world. And same thing with stages, right? We can go to when things get overheated like they are now in growth, we can sort of go to the seed market or something where we think things are less overheated. And so some of the flexibility we've seen, and when you couple that with our view of the industry, 
the stage agnostic. It gives us the ability to go to where the best investment opportunities are in any given six month or one year window, whether that's geography, stage, or otherwise. Very interesting. We've talked about sort of how 1011 came together, where you are now. Looking forward over the next 10 years, anything you think changes around the firm or strategies or product extensions or or size versus where you are now? We'll do the same things we've been doing, right? We're gonna we're gonna do global cyber only stage agnostic. Um, we will definitely grow the team just as we have more portfolio companies and we see, you know, always attention to the how 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 big of uh, of capacity can we take on while sticking to our knitting and our core, right? And our core and our knitting is pretty clear at this point. We've said it three times in this podcast already, but we'll hire into that knitting. So you'll, you'll probably see us hire in additive geographies, right? Maybe additive stages, specializations, and then helping the portfolio companies with the non-technical pieces around them, right? So the value add in, in, in sales and marketing and you know, CISO networks and introductions and things. You know, those will be the areas we expand and grow the firm underneath the the sort of the broad strategy we've outlined. We'll we'll do it as fast as we think we can. You know, continue to generate great returns in in our sector. The other wild card I'll say is just what happens to cyber in general. At the you know, what's definitely cyber is clear. There's some things around cyber that start to bleed into you know, where cyber is really the determinant of success in the technology and the company. And I think we've already invested in some of those ourselves. We sort of call it in the firm and the joke is it's, you know, when cyber is the best actress, it's really easy. We invest in sort of, you know, we talked about using artificial intelligence to reverse malware. Cyber is the clear direct role there. It's less clear in where cyber is playing a supporting role in another ecosystem. So, you know, the data warehousing ecosystem that you know, we have a portfolio. We just made, company. We just made investment in a company called Immuta, that is tied and levered to you know cloud-first data warehousing transitions, and you know that's really the best supporting actress in this case. And Immuta is the best supporting actress, not the best actor in this case. Sorry, I said it wrong there. But it's uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of ecosystems where cyber enables trust faster in the new ecosystem and enables investment opportunities. Another one, we did a seed project in, in a, a blockchain distributed application company called Valid, where it's really about enable, it's a, it's a block, it's a blockchain application firewall. And it's enabling trust and making sure malware isn't running on the blockchain websites. Well, at the end of the day, they're just websites, just like you need a WAF, you need something to ensure the integrity and security of where the blockchain itself is running and that there isn't malware on it. It isn't being man in the middle and intercepted. That security is really a supporting role to the distributed application ecosystem developing. But that that is a, something we as a firm are watching that I think as we look forward two, three, five years and even 10 years, where is the boundaries of what is and isn't security is, is kind of an interesting question. We don't really know the answer, honestly, but it's something we definitely monitor and watch to your original question. It's all going to get to risk, Hunter. Like, all right, cyber is the theme, but it's where all this evolves is risk and what, what the organization's willing or customer, you know, what the customer and organization, what the risk profile is going to be at the end of the day and what they're going to be able to, to do to combat and make sure that they're 
handling the level of risk they want to. And so that, I think that's so on theme. Does this, you know, are we doing this for another 10 years? Yes. I think the, you know, I said it earlier, this is the last job we will ever have, the two of us in the team. So it's, it's on theme. It'll remain. That's kind of one of your questions was like, is this, I think it was something about, you know, just the hacks and are we getting better? I think the answer to that question is we, we certainly are getting better. The dwell time in network has dropped dramatically. So the number of days that the bad actors are able to be hidden inside a customer's network is dramatically de- decreasing year over year. However, we're not there yet. You know, we're not, we haven't solved that yet. And so there's still opportunities to go and solve those. So, you know, this isn't a flash in the pan and we're going tomorrow. No, I think that the, where this evolves to, but really it's a round risk for enterprise and solving the risk portion of it and getting bad actors out of the network as quickly as possible, right? Someone sitting in your network for more than 30 days is crazy. So we got to get that down as well. No, that's a, a nice way of synthesizing it. Before we do sort of a fund and speed round, just one final question. You all have obviously done a great job and have a, a well-built out LP base at this point. What do you value in your LP partners that you'd look for if you were to add additional LPs in the future? What what do you look for with that back and forth partnership? Yeah, I think number one is we have found that the LPs that have an interest in cyber work with us, right? It's not just finance. Hey, I can, I can, you can generate great returns for me, super. The LPs that come from a pure finance world for us are, I don't want to say less valuable. They're, they don't get as quickly what we do. So the LPs that have an interest, and whether that's through doing co-investments with us, or just an interest themselves, right? A lot of our LPs that we've loved have been entrepreneurs themselves in sort of non-technical worlds, but they're they're worried about their family's cyber footprint and they have an interest in it. So they're curious, they want to know about cyber, they they understand its role in the world in geopolitics, they understand its role in the world of democratic societies, they understand its role in the world of sort of a, it's a transcendent societal issue is one of our, there's one of our buzzwords we use about, you know, cyber is sort of a derivative of everything. And you, you start to get into things like privacy and it is, you know, cause it, it goes to almost politics at a level. And so people who have an interest or an intellectual curiosity in it for whatever ranging to all the way from just co-investment interest, that's number one. I think we really like value-added investors. It may sound trite, but you know, a lot we we have a whole range of LPs. We have institutions. We have family offices. We are entrepreneurs ourselves. We think LPs that are like us, so that we, and we would say about ourselves, we are entrepreneurs. We sort of like to move quickly and disrupt our own industry. We like LPs that fit in that same mold. Entrepreneurial. LPs that like are drawn to cyber, the returns come, we sort of get that. But that's if someone starts there with us, it's sort of not probably the best fit with us as as much as we have found. We can just explain things, even in explaining the returns, we can explain things quicker to partners who have an interest and understand and get. So what we do then all the obvious reasons is we have direct deal flow and other things. It's people can move fast and like doing cyber investments, that's that's great for us, right? We Part of our value add to our founders is that we have a network of people that we can bring larger capital rounds and maybe the fund can do for concentration reasons or all the usual reasons. You know, we, we like having educated, cyber interested, 
entrepreneurial LPs that that, that want to see some of those deals. And then probably the biggest thing is that can move in in deal time, right? Directs is sort of one of these topics that everyone asks us about when we're fundraising. And the, the amount of people who can actually do them is tiny, right? And it's usually speed and deal understanding, right? And so as we look to add LPs, I mean, those are some of the characteristics of our favorite LPs. And I've sort of described you, Hunter, in there indirectly too, but we'll, we'll leave that in there. <laughs> oh, and like-minded, right? Like, like-minded like and just enjoyable to be, be with, right? Like you're, you're on our LPAC for a reason, right, Hunter? Like it's common views, common values, great cultural fit, right? It's just, this industry is full of different sorts of individuals and people. It's nice to work with people that are, that are fun to work with. Couldn't agree more and, and very much feel the same way from our side. Why don't we just wrap up with four quick, uh, short answers. I'll, I'll ask you both with each of these four and feel free to throw in a, a one or two word answer and, and we can wrap up from there. Why don't we start with you know a global ecosystem on the cyber side you think is underappreciated where you're seeing a cluster of talent or interesting companies globally? I'd say UK, five eyes, UK. Yeah, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. Five eyes. I wouldn't even just say UK, not non-US, the US sort of the intelligence community around the world. Israel, sort of for some reason, Israel's intelligence community, because of the 8200 unit, got a ton of notoriety in cyber. And I think the rest of the world's intelligence communities are a little underappreciated in cyber. Two words. Two words. <laughs> it was close <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> Being that we're about to go into 2021, I think we all are seeing these stupid lists that are coming out around your area you're most excited about in 2021. So I have to give in to my impulses here. Within cyber, you know, by sub-vertical, any area you're going to spend more attention or time on in 2021? Or are you going to keep that close to the vest? No, I think, here, I'll go. Uh, if it's just, if it's really two words, the hybrid cloud, so the transition continues with cloud. Like that, that's just not going away. You've got remote, everyone's remote worker. So, and it's not pure cloud, it's it's hybrid cloud. Because entrepreneurs, customers, and organizations are never going to get pure cloud. So that's, that's, I think, number one. I think the increase in threat vector is not going away. So the bad actors are going to continue. So, you know, we're seeing it just this week or last week, you know, a massive hack. That's not going away, right? Like flashback a year and a half ago was office personnel management was hacked. So it's, that theme is going to continue and bad actors are going to continue to do what they do. That was like three sentences. So you were working. Yeah, that, yeah, well, that, that wasn't Alex, two Alex, sentences Alex, either. Alex, more than two wait, words last wait time. a minute, hack. Come on. That yeah. wasn't two sentences either. <laughs> I'll say the best supporting actress. Security is the best supporting actress, right? Is right. That, that That's sort of the, uh, the short version. Favorite uh, VC that, that you've enjoyed working with from a board capacity? We can't answer that one. You know, that's like, that's like that puts us, uh, I would say, we're not going to say anything that you're not going to get out of looking at the patterns of who we've done more than one deal with and who we've invested in. It matters a lot to us, as we alluded to earlier, the breeders comment and how we actually look at investments and the time of the investments, who's in the cap table matters a lot. You know, I would say that cyber knowledge VCs are better than non-cyber knowledge VCs. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. We, we've, we've been fortunate, Hunter, to work with some great investors around the table and on boards. And it's been, we've been very successful with a good group of, again, common views, common culture, uh, common approach. Makes sense. 
Lastly, since the three of us share a mutual love of, of whiskeys, any interesting bottles you've come across recently, whether that be bourbon, rye, scotch, that, that you're excited about? I think our go-to team go-to is Oban 14, but that's just kind of just, that's an easy one. Would just be uh, shooting from my hip out of the gate. Interesting. Yeah, that's Oban has a good racetrack. It's widely distributed all around that's the world. Right. That's the Oban right. has a really good racetrack, it turns out. If you're going to get a little more small batch, I mean, well, there's that great High West. I like the Campfire High West stuff, little smoky oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. Although I have to say my, my favorite that I just bought a case of this summer. I spent some time in my homeland in Michigan. There's this cherry-flavored whiskey called Traverse City Cherry Whiskey. So from Traverse City, Michigan, Cherry Capital. It sort of pre-mixes your cherry into your Manhattan for you. And that, that's my go-to. <laughs> it's hard to get. It's a little off the beaten path, hard to get. And uh, I just ordered a case. I found a place in Chicago that ships it. So I'll have to try that. that that's exciting. <laughs> and you managed to fully pull the racetrack analogy back to end with, which... Oh, you caught that. Good. Thematic. <laughs> <laughs> on theme. On theme. Always on theme. Well, this, is, this has been great, guys. We couldn't appreciate the partnership more. Always a pleasure uh, to talk to you and learn more about your craft and what you do. And just honored we're, we're able to continue to work together going into to subsequent years here. So thank yeah, you for Yeah, Hunter, you, you, Greenspring's been an awesome partner. You're a great board member. Always great, give great advice and guidance. Absolute pleasure to work with. The information contained in this discussion is being provided for informational purposes only. This discussion is not intended to be reflective of the strategy, performance, plan, or focus of any private fund or account managed by Greenspring Associates LLC or its affiliates or any of their principals. Nothing in this discussion should be relied on as professional or investment advice. All intellectual property rights in this podcast are the exclusive property of Greenspring Associates LLC. You may redistribute this podcast to third parties provided you do not alter any of its content.